Welcome to Season 5 of Level Up, a podcast where we explore how students, faculty, and staff at the University of Florida create presence and belonging. I'm your host, Antonio Farias, Chief Diversity Officer at the University of Florida. So welcome to another episode of Level Up on Presence and Belonging, and today we are incredibly fortunate to have Dr. David Kenton. He is the director of the African-American Studies Program at the University of Florida, an associate professor of history, and a real thought leader and historian on the national scene. Uh, Prior to UF, Dr. Canton was the director of Africana Studies Program and an associate professor of history at Connecticut College. Uh, He also served as the school's interim dean of institutional equity and inclusion, the chair of the Department of History, and the director of the Center for the Study of Race and Equality. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Canton. First, I got to ask, how did you do all that and still sort of be who you are, which is <laughs> everywhere, all the time? Well, thank you for inviting me, Antonio. Antonio, I go back to Connecticut. It's part of the work that Connecticut College with me for years. And uh, pretty much, I guess it's that passion, right? The passion of equity, the passion of justice, the passion of, of sharing African-American history, but not only white America, but also with African-Americans and other communities that, you know, this is what 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 I'm here for, I'm excited about. And uh, that's really what it is. Like I tell my students, passion is the key. And then uh, that will drive you to be the best that you can be. Not saying it's not difficult, but it's like people say, when it's not work, that means it's your passion. That's it. That's it. It's like you jump out of bed and you're like, I need to get get to it, right? Get on it. So you have a really storied sort of trajectory and hopefully we can get into it because you got your, your bachelor's at Morehouse, so you're a Morehouse man, and that means something in this country, right? And you've got your MA in Black Studies at The Ohio State University and your PhD at uh, another storied uh, institution, Temple University. So maybe as we go through this, we can talk about how, going back to that question of passion, how your intellectual trajectory sort of kept sort of being ignited through these various places and also the the, the scholars and the colleagues that you ran into that obviously now continue to be part of your expanded network? And that's a great question. And, and obviously one who studies history, you know, we, I got to go back, contextualize. Really it was my father, you know, he was a high school dropout, born in, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. My mother was born in Anguilla. And he always had a fascination with history, African-American history. So he used to read the Pittsburgh Courier, a black newspaper, he remembers seeing Emmett Till's photo in Jet Magazine. And when, oh, the, wow. and when the sailors would come into St. Thomas from the, from the United States, he would go talk to black sailors. He just had this interest about African-American history and African history. He joined the army, 58 to 62, come to the United States. He saw Jim Crow, you know, continue reading black newspapers. So in my household, you know, you talk about Marcus Garvey and, and all these other individuals that you were not getting in the school. You know, so that that laid the foundation. However, when I get to Morehouse College, I want to be a medical doctor. Like most first-gen African-American, Latino-American students, it's a great profession, secure income, and you can help people, i.e. donate some time to a clinic. And that's what you're thinking. And you can buy your parents a home. That's so, it. So obviously, you know, my passion was social studies. Because I remember in high school, because my dad, they used to call him like an encyclopedia. I was into like... Uh, facts and trivia just about African-Americans. And uh, I was just good at stuff like that. They bring up apartheid. I only want to know about it in the 80s and stuff of that nature. But all I thought I could be with a, a background like that is a high school teacher. I'm not knocking it, but I just, my high school I went to just didn't look ideal. No black teachers, 
one black male teacher, just them and how they treated black students. This is not for me. So I get to Morehouse College, a biology major. To be honest with you, I, I was a four-year biology major with like eight biology credits. I was just a disaster. When it came to history and the social sciences, B's and A's, no problem. So uh, when I met my wife, who was an honor student at Spelman College, you know, we're just always behind. She said, Dave, major in history. I'm like, but I'll have to take another year and a half to get out of Morehouse. I'll be 23 years old. So again, that whole type of, you know, this, this program of life, as you know, 21 college, all these numbers that were supposed to hit. I try right. to tell students, don't worry about all that. Life is a marathon. You know, that it's, it's a marathon. So I go see my advisor, Dr. Alton Hornsby, rest in peace. He's after making a story in it at Morehouse. He says, Dave, you can graduate in a year and a half. I'm like, what? However, the last three semesters of Morehouse, I had all like A's and B's in history. Then I met Dr. Joseph Wyndham, rest in peace. Um, he got his PhD from Howard. And I was in the office the day his PhD came in. Big, thick mm. document. Like, what is that? You wrote that? It just, because again, I'm first gen. That, that stuff. Right. You work in class from the Bronx, your parents just work all day. You just, yeah. you just don't see stuff like that. You know, it, it doesn't even, let I me mean, think about it. So he said, Dave, go to Ohio State. Like what? Ohio who? Get a master's. I'm like, master's of what? I had no clue right. what you're talking about. It's a I one need a year job. Program. Right, right. It's a one-year program. I went to Black Studies there. And then I met people like Nick Nelson, rest in peace. So all these early black scholars who played a role in black studies, I came through those traditions. John Henry Clark, uh, Dr. Benyakin, Leonard Jeffries, all those folks, you remember in the nineties, Malefi Asante, I've oh, yeah. seen you know, all of those folks. After I finished uh, black studies at Ohio State, I went to get my PhD in history at Temple. And as we know, Malefi Asante's program, PhD of African Studies started 87, right. 88, and that's before the Ivy League. So again, African-Americans come up with something once it starts being profitable, that's when what? Skip Gates and the Ivy League. Oh, now we can do it. You see how that yeah. goes? And then they had to yeah. get all the resources, get the access to the white media. You see what I mean? But so pretty much my intellectual trajectory started at home. And then all these years through Morehouse, through Ohio State, through Temple, and all these colleagues and all these years has really helped put me in a position where, you know, as you mature, really understanding the focus of African studies, African-American studies, and that's why I'm glad I'm here. That's, thank you. That is, that is a, a roller coaster ride of a journey for what you are, which is, in my mind, you're a public intellectual. I mean, I, I've seen you at, at, in work. I've seen you in the community. Uh, you really sort of, and, and obviously now it, now it makes sense, right? This started in the home front, as right. it almost always does, right? And, and to your point, all of these guides and these mentors along the way God bless them because they, they eventually pass, but they pass the torch to you, right? They pass the torch to us to say, now it's up to you. It's your responsibility to keep this alive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a great point, right? Passing the torch, as my friend Joe Madison says, don't put the torch out. We both carry the torch. And I think if you understand Black community traditions, Latino traditions, elders, and all this matters. You know, when I go out to the community, I speak to older people. You ain't got to call me doctor. You 80 years old. <laughs> None of all that. I mean, you... You survive 80 years in America, you're good with me. You know? So I don't, but those are the type of things, understanding your community that you're working with. And yeah. I, like I said, when you say public intellectual, how do you do what we do and make it plain, as Malcolm said, you know, to That's the masses of folks who, through their work, through their sacrifice, got folks here? 
So, you know, I don't, I don't try not just to speak to academic folks. You can do that, but also how do you bring it out to the community where we all can figure it out? And as we know, it's not a top down or what I can do is how we work together. And I think that's what sometimes you try to teach younger scholars that ultimately you don't have all the answers. You don't know more than a person lived in that neighborhood for 45 years. It's impossible. Right. So if right. you don't figure it out from the, from the get, don't be upset when community members look at you side eye. Right. Now, what school you went to? <laughs> that's it. That's it. And they're not impressed, right? Because that's the whole point. It's like we places like this alienate you from the communities from which we came from, right? And then we don't know how to translate back, or we figure that somehow we're we're beyond them, and, and we forget that they they are the shoulders that brought us to where we are today. So, well, well point and well taken. Um, so, I have I start the podcast um, with the question of like, what is your story of belonging? Mm. Mm -hmm. It's a great question. I think my story of belonging is, you know, I'm a big Pan-Africanist, you know, this diaspora thing. And as I get older, you really start to see. So again, it starts with my parents from the West Indies. So of course, we used to go to Carnival every spring. Oh, yeah. Puerto Rico. My dad's, my dad's dad did a baseball game for Roberto Clemente as a, as a umpire. You oh, know, wow. So type of stories, you know. So my dad, you know, uh, Met, met all these famous African-Americans. So I got that from him. And that for him, it's like, if you're Black in London, Lagos, the Bronx, right? I don't care what people tell you, you, you extend a hand. Don't get <laughs> caught up on, you know, what church, those other div div divisive stuff. Understand this diaspora. It's That's powerful, it. it's informative, and it's very uh, uh, self-affirming. So for me, growing up in a West Indian background, you know, I get to Atlanta, that's why I introduced the Black Southern culture. So that's why I always tell people it's Black experiences. There's no monolith. So that's I get it. down to Atlanta, first time I had grits, first time I had uh, uh, salmon croquettes, Baptist church. I didn't know any of that stuff. I'm from the Bronx or West Indian parents. You see the food differences all, but ultimately you see the connections. When I go to Ghana, you can see the connections, right? There's a show by Steve McQueen on um, Prime Video called Love Acts. And this one scene is an hour show on a Black British party, house party in London. And this one song, it's like Frankie Beverly Mae's song, Before I Let Go. You drop the music and the people sing to the song. So for me, I lock into the commonality. I lock into that. You take the music, drop the music. I show students here. It's a house party in Chicago, the Bronx, Atlanta, LA. So my sense, I belong to this wide diaspora of scholars, working class people, you know, who in, in the in the alive Western Civ been told black people can't do this, can't do that, right. can't do this. I'm saying that's when I look at the history and what's going on, whether it's Afrobeats, cultures, scholars, all this stuff, that's totally false. So my job is to share these experience, and particularly here at University of Florida, where we have a diverse black population, how do we create that 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 recognition of that diaspora and, and stop focusing on these differences, they're so minor in the large scheme of world history. That's it, that's key, right? And, and, and stop having that mindset that we're minorities in some way, right? We are connected to a global sort of change process that has always been going on, right? That's a great point, right? The global majority, right? Those thinking like that. So hopefully here at UF, getting students to go abroad and, and that feeling, when I saw the movie, when I see Afrobeats, when I look at, uh, there's a guy named S Sam Speedy, he does these uh, uh, things on YouTube, 
with like him and his mother, or how Nigerians' moms like that's like my grandmother, that's like my mother. All oh, these little cultural <laughs> rules that I just lock into, you know, rather than how I'm not like that. I'm looking like there's more commonality there. You just sit down and recognize that, and not be so narrow about what a true monolithic is. Multiple experiences, like whether it's Obama's experience, Kamala Harris, and everybody gets into all that. Who's more African American? But that's that global diaspora that you should people should belong to and look forward to belong to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it refuses the categorization, right? It refuses to, to get in the box, right? right. That's what they, that's what people want. It's like it's an easy cookie cutter. Now I know I don't have to I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to get deep with you. I can just put you in the box and then figure you out. Right. Just like you watch World Cup soccer and the Ghanaian teams and Nigeria. Oh yeah. You know, like, like, hey, don't feel guilty. That's fine. Yeah. You know? Because it recognizes that you have these nations that, you know, under-resourced because of global capitalism, right? So don't, if you want to fly a Ghanaian flag for World Cup, that's, that's, but that's the theory of American society, right? So again, you know, you, you see that when the Ghanaian soccers and Nigerians and these teams play United States and World Cup, you know what I mean? You get kind of like, hey, why not? Or people talk about dual citizenship or going and all that stuff, which that's part of it. But again, it starts with the education and a lot of it is because what you do at home and that's the energy I want to bring to this program. And, and, and it's a step-by-step process, not overnight. No, it's not. And, and that and you just gave a big tell us, David, as to how why you are so diaspora to the core. Because you talked about soccer and not football, right? That that shows your West Indies sort of background there, just coming all out. So um, my mother was a cricket fan. We was going Randall Island oh. cricket. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember those by the by the lights. Yeah, Randall Stadium. Yeah, all white. You know, so that's my mom's British background. The cricket and the respectability and speak properly. But it's a synthesis. My dad was the race man, quote unquote. My mother was a straight British, you know, West Indian. We put these traditions together, and that's what that's where I grew up in. And then I add in the Morehouse. You see what I mean? So it's really, yeah. I can understand students who come from the West Indian background, what their parents expect. But again, I bounce it off with, you know, don't be so critical African-American, that that thing. You know, then at the same time, the racial consciousness, you know, from my father's side, I'm typically going to Morehouse, Atlanta, the Black Mecca. So you get that that balance, that synthesis in That's terms it. of how I was socialized. That's it. So tell me, tell me what excites you about the work that you, that you have before you here at, at the University of Florida, because you you are the sort of the core of this new development, right? Which is a continuation of 50, 60 years of in the makes. But you have a you bring a certain sauce to this to this project to revitalize African American studies. So maybe talk a little bit about that and also the, the your scholarship, right? Because uh, you know it's both you're an administrator and you're a deep scholar. So what it really excites you about what you're doing here? Well, when I saw the position, right, chance to build a department. So obviously we know we have a program. Like you said, there's a 50 year history. So again, I'm on top of the shoulders of Dr. Foreman and Dr. Uh, Simmons and all the others, the community members, tons of names, who lays the foundation, who sacrificed, who wrote the letters, wrote the grants. So my thing is this long history of black studies. I was born 68, the year black studies as a discipline was created. So whether we talk about the hip hop generation or the black studies generation, there's 50 years of scholarship, best practices, mistakes, errors, interpretations. So now I have an opportunity to put all this together and build a department. 
with a 50-year legacy behind us. Okay, how do we learn from that? We don't just dismiss it. I don't care how cutting edge you think you are. Most stuff you say is not new. So we got to start from that premise. Right? I don't care how, what school you're going to, who you are is who you think you are. You have to build from that history. You see, okay. so you start from there. Okay. Next, it's like, okay, in terms of uh, bringing in new, we're bringing in five full-time tenure lines and a lecturer. So that's the excitement. Then now we can sit down, build a department, understanding university culture. Okay, that's the key to understanding how this university works, what I call the game, right? Yeah. When you have yeah. initiatives, you have different, how do you latch on? And again, what people don't understand is you stay true to your mission and values, but when you hook up to an, an, an initiative in a university, you make sure that's based on your missions and values. So that doesn't okay. mean you're not, you know, selling out or giving up. We're going to, we agree to it, but it's going to be done this way, interpreted this way. You see, that's what we're going to, so it's not a total rejection because we know right. we're part of a university. So I think we have the administrative knowledge now because of the, the long training. We have the elders who can sit down, the Asantes. I reach out to all these folks to get their wisdom. So again, humility is key. You know, you can't come in here and not ask the old school folks, hey, I got an issue. You just can't do it. Whether they got 30 books or no books, they can help. So I'm that's always, it. that's my dad always taught me. I got to be humble. Because at the end of the day, as you know, you got 50 books or one book, you ended up in the same grave six feet under when this thing Amen. all ends. So it, really doesn't, it doesn't matter. So I think no. for me, having a lot of colleagues who in my age, I'm 52, we're at we're the same place, we've seen a lot, and we still have connections to these folks that have been before us, I want to bring all that, get that wisdom, but also how do we integrate that University of Florida understanding is Gainesville and these other contextual realities. But fortunately right now, I mean, the Dean's on board, the resources are there. So, but we also have to remain vigilant. You have to keep pushing, just like with the democratic majority we have, you can't take your foot off the gas, which means we have to continue to push, continue to you ensure that we keep building, don't settle, you know, do the work, send those emails, alumni getting involved, do not take your foot off the gas. You know, as a historian, we know that, right? We yeah. know, oh, we made it now, and that's when it hits, right? So it's the same thing here. So I'm excited about building a department that hopefully a graduate program, again, is what, uh, 30 years of PhD program. So again, we could see curriculum. How many students should we bring in? How many we can fund? And let's be real strategic. We don't have Smart. to take those leaps of faith and make decisions and hope we can do it based on facts. So for instance, how about a master's program for teachers for African mm. studies, where we can, you know, one year program, distance learning, where they can get a foundation in African-American history. So they have these courses, it's not that that. sanitized surface, it's in depth, you know? So those are things we can think about with the technology we know now, the distance learning, and that's something that, and again, because our fees are reasonable here in the state of Florida, that can be something that can be well uh, for many teachers in this state with a 17% African population, but it's not just anybody, because we know black history, right. it shouldn't just be in black schools. It should right. be in suburban school in Dade County. You see what That's I mean? It. So you That's can come it. here and get that one year master's. And we know with public schools, those resumes are gonna get bumped to the top. There's no way you're gonna be a successful high school teacher with black Latino, and you, you just can't, your resume, I don't give a 4.0 American history. If I don't see any black Latino courses, right. you're not gonna, I'm telling you, there's right. no way in a public school system in this state, 
you're going to be hired. It's just not. It's not going to work because, as you know, the students recognize when teachers feel some type of way. Oh, real quick. If, you're, if your scholarship is off of Google and not off of deep scholarship by being in the library in the grind, yeah, you get smelled out real quick. And your attitude, right, or some, you know, that what's wrong? Oh, completely. You're done. Yeah. Day one, it's over. You know, then you're mad at the kids. We don't look at yourself. Maybe I should right. take, gone to those workshops, taking these classes that we told you to take years ago. You didn't believe because you didn't realize that you see the country demographics. That's what January 6th was. But rather than embrace that, how right. do we get health care? You're still holding on to this, this past that was fraud in the first place, right. you know, rather than see what it is. So that's my part, the joy of building a department in terms of with all this memory and using that to create something with, are there going to be mistakes in a way? Of course, but we know there's enough out there to decrease the mistakes because we understand university culture. We understand how the economy works in this thing now. We understand universities aren't, the, the, there's a relationship between a good economy, state legislators. We understand that now. So it's not this idea, which we probably thought back, come in on ideas and all this other stuff. It's like any other institution. You have to yeah. be uh, forward thinking. You have to be practical. You have to be optimistic. All these at one time. All of that. And, and you bring all of that sauce there, David. To, to your point, it's the context and it's the history and it's navigation, right? And, and right. I, I love I love your, your approach, not just internally to UF, but also to, to giving back, right? I mean, we have in this state, we have a mandate, right? K through 12 to teach African-American history. And yet we, we don't do it. And we right. don't do it well, right? So right. I love the sense of like getting getting the knowledge out of this ivory tower and into communities and into our populations so that everyone can understand that black history is American history, right? Correct. And it is it is foundational. Right? Correct, correct. And that's part of this as well. So again, and that's forming those relationships with community uh, school boards and and again, that's yeah. what Carl T. Woodson do. Negro history, yeah. Month, black history month was part of not only academic, how do I popularize this? This, if I'm only talking to 12 black people, a thousand academics, right. we're not doing our job. So we can't get mad when the students don't know the history. It's it. our fault for not going out there and providing a structure where teachers can come in, we can share knowledge. I'm not all elitist because you didn't go here and you like some type of food or you're some, all that's nonsense. Right, where you come to an association for study of African life history conference, there's teachers, academics, community folks. It's like we're family. There's none of this air stuff. So nobody right. cares where your degree is from. Right. No one's going to be crying and spilling the beans where we see and, and, and we look at mainstream white culture. That, that That's a big deal. If you went to Harvard, and you're this and you're that, everybody bows down. Not with African-American, I'm against Latino organizations. That has no merit. It's Man. Character, what are you doing, and your authenticity? All these credentials, I've seen it. Nobody cares. They're like, that's okay, it. it's <laughs> how you show. Yeah, it's how you show up. That's it. I like how you show up. You know, so I think that's what what again studying the history. So obviously yeah. trying to bring what Woodson did to, to this department in that same type of relationship. How do we get all this stuff from what we do here out there to popularize it so we don't have myth history like. Tuskegee syphilis, you know, those men had syphilis. They were denied treatment based right. on the assumption that black men and white men are different biologically and right. they'll respond differently. 
You see what I mean? So we don't have to put out myths or conspiracy theories. Racism is no conspiracy. No. But there's enough history there. You don't have to do exaggerated. You don't need that. You don't need to make up, you know, different conspiracy theories. It's right there. There's nothing's being hidden in the prison industrial complex. So our job is to get that out there and have these conversations using the history, then coming up with strategies on how to improve. And as you know, not just the black, it's going to improve everybody. I mean, that's just the reality of people don't understand. So that's why this is giving me excitement because I think, you know, I'm an empty nester now. So I got the, I got the administration time, nine to five, Monday through Friday, you know, and, uh, you know, my wife's going to be down here in the summer, you know, extraordinary filmmaker. So it's like, like a redo now. And I think yeah. we both have this energy to really, you know, institutional change, also community change, really That's put it. in real time, that the time that we can to really get this thing going. So uh, we're excited, or I'm excited. So you mentioned strategy. So what would you say is one actionable thing that people can do to create a sense of belonging at UF? Oh, that's a good question. One thing. When I was in college, I met uh, Willie Ricks, Mukasa. He's on the Eyes on the Prize. And uh, he was on the Black Power episode. So he used to be in our dorm, on campus. He would come in Morehouse in our cafeteria. He would show videos of lynchings. I'm like, what? I to be honest, I never knew of lynchings until I got to Morehouse. And I was an honor student. So I just was so frustrated. So I was considered smart, but didn't know there were 3,000 Black people lynched in America. So anyway, he said, you know, I was 19. I'm ready to protest. Dave, start a study group. What? That's not radical. I want to do something, right? Right. Study groups or, or engaging with each other, right? I think that's the key. We talk about networking with professors, office hours. We brought Anthony Jack, you know, uh, whatever organization you're in, you know, be part, be active in it. I think that's the key. You know, I think college is not just what's in the classroom, as we know, it's what's outside of the classroom. That's it. You will feel more belonging when you are belong part of something outside of the classroom and are committed to it. Not just signing up, put on your resume, but being engaged in it, running for office, doing programs. That gives you your belonging because you're going to find in that area more so than these classrooms that can be hostile. That's it. Right? So that stuff outside is what balances you out when you go to that discipline where there's one Black person, one Latino, microaggressions. But you have that organization, that club that you're committed to, not just on paper, that you sacrifice, you go to the meetings. Oh, I gotta know, you can't wait to go. And that's why I tell students, once you have that there, yeah. centered, this stuff that goes on in the class, this goes over your head. Yeah. Well, you don't have that, now you're caught by yourself, you're isolated, and we know in African communities, isolation was considered slavery, not belonging to a community. Western mm. live, you wanna be free of a community, right? You just wanna be you. In right. those societies, you gotta be part of a group Right. That's belonging. Part of that group to a university sometimes can be isolating to an individual in those classrooms where an individual, you see, that's where you feel that type of hostility, but it's that group, that belonging, as you said, is what makes this experience uh, 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 enjoyable. I love that. I, I love that uh, all around, right? Uh, and, and it goes back to the, if, if you don't find it ready-made, if we're not providing it for you, then, then start creating your own, right? I mean, that was the whole genesis of the Black Power and the Black Arts Movement, right? It's like, 
it's not in the curriculum. We we all a circle of three will get together and we'll we'll learn about our history, right? We we're not going to wait, right, for for white institutions to feed us a history that is going to come in a way that we're not going to we're not going to appreciate it. So we will get together and we will find our own histories, right? Correct. That's a good point, right? So right, Black Power, Black Black Arts Movement, Harlem Renaissance, and, and it just makes sense, right? We had a you have intellectual tradition that was based on racism, whether the European Enlightenment thinkers, what they talk about African people, and the list goes on. So it doesn't make sense to wait for them to say, hey, we know you start your own. And that's, that's, what, and that's what they did. They didn't wait. And these are young people, whether it's SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, right? Uh, all in Renaissance, like, these folks were in their 20s. So this whole waiting, you don't have to wait. Young people, look at the elections, Tiananmen Square in China, young people, they got the energy, they can stay up all night, no children, most of them, enthusiasm. <laughs> I tell them, listen, I can't do all night anymore. I can sign a petition. I'll give you two <laughs> hours. I'm in bed at 10 o'clock. That's what they do, right? They create these. You don't wait. So if you're here at UF, you know, you have a passion. If you're anime or, I don't know, black skateboarding, whatever, find some other folks. That's your group of belonging. And it's That's that it. little skateboard group, the reading group the crochet group, I don't care what you call it. When you graduate, you're gonna notice it's those organizations. You see, not, not the classroom experience, there'll be professors depending on your major, but you'll look back and say, there was some moments, whether it's a student, the dorm can be a tough situation, but that group of belongings, that's what's gonna carry your, your memories for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And that's here, it. what I wanna do in this department is create a culture like it at Morehouse, right? Where when you leave, I still have relationships with students at Connecticut College, giving me updates. Hey, Dr. Ken, how's everything going, right? That's what I want to create here, where you have that advisor type of liberal arts, you know, for, where we have a long-term uh, relationship because that's how, that's the ideal of black studies, HBCUs, Latino serving institutions. This notion of mentorship is not just four years, could be a lifetime. I still call my professors doctors. You know, they, they 80 years old, you know. <laughs> you know I could have nine books. I'm still calling them Dr. Box. I don't care. When we go to homecoming, I make sure I run into them, check on them on Facebook. Those relationships are valuable to help weed out, help you not think about the hostile ones you may encounter because you have that's more it. of those. And I think that's what has, you'll have a better, when you graduate, you'll feel much better than anger and hostile because you didn't create those belonging communities. You right. had it all tied into the major the classes, the major club and the, the marginalization. I'm saying shift that paradigm. And that, that is so key, right? It's like, it, it don't, don't allow right, organizations to create the world for you. You innovate and create your own community to protect you. Right. And, to, and, to, and to nourish you and to lead you. I love that concept. So we come to the end and I always ask the question, what brings you joy? <laughs> what brings me joy? Uh, you know what, God is my family or my kids' success. You know, you know, you have children in school and you look back, it was a struggle. There's no doubt there's ups and downs, but when they yep. spend a, you know, uh, my daughter is a third year uh, PhD student, Kinesiology University, Illinois. You know, my son is uh, in New York, does podcasting, and he's my social media expert. Then my youngest <laughs> applying to college now. And when you see, you're like, how did that happen? And we were grad students, so we were broke, you know, coming through with these three kids. And, you, and you're looking back, and 
and you see that our parenting style, right? You see that, you know, the older folk, well, you should do this and do that. But you allow students to have a conversation, plot their own path. It's, it's a sense of joy. You know, I think that's when you see their, their progress. I mean, your daughter's at Colorado College and you look up, you're like, where does time go? But yeah. you lay some sort of foundation, you know, yeah. that they're going to continue. And uh, that, that's really exciting to me. I, I'm not going to lie to you. When their steps forward, you're like, wow, you know, it's those yeah. children. You know what I mean? But honestly, we need to find some other hobbies. But those right now are giving me super joy. And just that, you know, I think this opportunity, I'm not going to lie, this Florida weather, too. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Man, you told me when we spoke months ago, your whole personality changes, right? Oh, it did. It did. <laughs> Not having to dig out a three feet of snow every winter for 15 winters, this is a blessing. And, and my biggest thought, should I wear short sleeve or long sleeve? <laughs> I mean, come on. I don't even think about the, what's the weather. For, I don't even think about it. I mean, it's right. just an amazing thing. So I think that's a sense of joy. But Overall, the opportunity and obviously, you know, coming in with you here, your wife here, our family here, it was, it's a great experience and a great time. And I think, uh, you know, we see, like I said, the national context, this is a great opportunity time here in Florida. I know we have the history, but I said, I teach the past, but don't live in the past. I think the key is to continue what's been started. Don't get comfortable and just keep, keep, keep going. I keep, remain vigilant. So I'm telling alumni, I'm telling community folks, you know, because, you know, they'll see us on the Facebook, whatever. I say, don't just keep going, be critical of me, whatever, keep me honest and let's keep moving. And that's how we grow. And that's, that's just the nature of this, the history of this country, you know, and, and that's why as a historian, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, can you ever be happy? It's not that I'm not happy. It's my, you know, spotty sense that historian says tingles. It. it tingles. You know, like, uh oh, we've been down this road before. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not trying to, to be a, a party pooper, but right. I'm just saying, keep this in mind. That's perfect ending, uh, Dr. Kenton, right? Know your history, but don't don't just live there, right? right. It's, it's, it's a wellspring. Uh, and it's also it's also our front forward radar, right? It's like our past tells us what potentially our future might be if we don't do a course correction. So I, I love what you do. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. David Canton, Director of African-American Studies here at the University of Florida. Phenomenal historian, uh, phenomenal public intellectual. I think we, you and I both can agree that we have better halves that, that are, you know, bring us joy and keep us in check. Uh, I know your wife, Roxanne, is a phenomenal filmmaker. Uh, we can't wait to have her here. She's going to be a game changer as well. And welcome to UF again. Appreciate the opportunity and looking forward to working with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me, Antonio Farias, for another episode of Level Up on Presence and Belonging. If you enjoyed this episode, please like the track and share on social media. We welcome your comments and suggestions for future programs. You can find more episodes of Level Up and contact information for the Office of the Chief Diversity Officer at cdo.ufl.edu.